0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue on through the book of Mark. And this morning, what we're talking about are... Um, traditions and preferences, because we've all got them. We've all got traditions, and we've all got preferences, just in in life, and then just in different scenarios. Uh, holiday traditions. We've got holiday traditions. On uh, Thanksgiving, we go to uh, this family's house first, then this family, then this family. Every single year, we do the same thing. Same with Christmas. We go to Jessica's grandmother's house on Christmas Eve, then we go to my parents' house on Christmas Eve night. We've got these traditions that we have set up, that this is the way Things are done, and if you've got a family like mine, then those traditions will not move, regardless of what's happening. This is when it's always been done. This is when it will always be done. I've got some family members that are just dead set on their traditions. Same way with preferences. We've all got our preferences. We've got. Food preferences. We've got style preferences. I bet that if we went to three different people's houses today, uh, their houses would all look different from the way they're decorated, from the colors that they use, to so the paint that they use because we've all got different preferences when it comes to styles and the way things work. There's nothing wrong with having traditions and there's nothing wrong with having preferences because even in the church, we still have those same preferences uh, and, and traditions that we like to hold to sometimes. There are some people who prefer a pastor who wears a, a full suit, uh, I remember telling, uh, I think, Jessica, uh, once we came here, I was like, thank the Lord that I don't have to go and uh, buy any suits. I've got one suit. Um, That I can come and preach here and be pastor here without having to wear a suit every Sunday morning. If that's what it took, I would do it, but uh, I just don't, don't like them. But there are some people who have that preferences. There are some people who, uh, when it comes to music, you prefer this kind of style. You prefer this music over another type of music. And, and that is fine. There's nothing wrong with having preferences. There's nothing wrong with even having traditions. Hey, this is how we've, we've done things. This is how we've done things for the last however many years. And so we like the way we have done things. The issue arises, the problem comes up though, is when those preferences and those traditions take over the mission of the church or rise above the Scripture that God has given us. Because as Christians, God has given us His Word. God has given us His standard. God has given us His commandments. And this is what what defines worship for us. This is what defines sin for us. You know, the, the church a lot of times has a... A problem sometimes calling things sin that God has never called sin. We've got to be careful not to do that. We've got to be careful to make sure preferences and traditions do not elevate themselves above the position of Scripture or above the mission of the church. As we look at this passage this morning, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about as He deals with these Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they took the traditions of men. In fact, they had the Old Testament, then they had this other set of writings that were commentaries on the Old Testament. Uh, If I'm remembering correctly, it's called the Talmud. But they would take the Talmud, it was was commentaries, it was writings of other uh, uh, teachers and leaders, and it was on the same level as the Old Testament. It was just as important, it was just as authority. They had taken the words and the traditions and the preferences of men and elevated it to at least the position of Scripture, if not above. So that's what Jesus is dealing with them in that. And what we're going to see kind of come out of that is a heart that is not focused on loving God, but ultimately it's a heart focused on loving ourselves. So let's read verse chapter, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. It says this, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Verse six. And he said to them, "Well did Isaiah prophesy, or well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to and hold to the tradition of men." And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say that if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no, or, then you, uh, no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition and you have handed, uh, that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. God, I pray that as we study your word, that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, our minds, our ears to your truth. God, I pray that you, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, would speak louder to our hearts uh, than my voice ever could. And God, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we can be convicted, wherever it is that we're at, whatever it is we need to hear. God, that you would meet us where we're at, and God, draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, first thing that I wanted to see is that there is a huge problem that arises when we elevate traditions and preferences over Scripture. So verses 1 through 5 kind of lay out, kind of set our context for the story, kind of lay out our problem. What happens is Jesus and his disciples come and they're about to eat, and some of the Pharisees and scribes who had come from Jerusalem are sitting there, and they're like, whoa, why didn't you guys wash your hands before y'all ate? Now, this isn't a, a health-conscious issue that they're worried about. This not, hey, you've got some dirt under your fingernails, go wash your hands before you eat. This is an issue of the Jews were really big on being ceremonially or religiously uh, quote-unquote, clean or pure before they did certain things. And so for them, they said when you left the marketplace and you came back, what they're talking about is when you went to the marketplace, you might accidentally bump into somebody who has not been uh, ritually clean. See, they had... Um, They had these things called migva pools. So before you could go into the temple, you had to go and and walk into a migva pool, basically baptizing, and you just wash yourself off. And the idea there is that you are religiously pure now, that you're kind of religiously, ceremonially ready to go into the temple, to go and to worship. And they kind of stretched this out to other ways too. So if you were in the the marketplace and you actually bumped into somebody who was not religiously pure or religiously clean, then you all of a sudden became religiously dirty just like they were. So you had to go and rewash yourself. And so... You think back to the story of the, the good Samaritan and you've got the, uh, the the Jew that has been beat up that has been uh, robbed that is laying in the streets and the, and the priest walks by and the scribe walks by or the, 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 the Jewish people walk by and they pass to the other side. It's because here this guy was and he would have been religiously and ceremonially dirty so to protect their own ceremonial cleanliness, they would refuse to help him because to touch him would mean they would become just as dirty as he was. Not physically, but just kind of ceremonially and religiously. Now, here's where they get this. In Exodus chapter 30, as God has given uh, Moses the commands on the temple, he says, look, when Aaron and his sons, Aaron was to be the, the high priest, his sons were to be that priestly line that followed him, they were to be the ones that served in the temple. He said, when y'all go or when they go to serve, you're going to have the, the Holy of Holies, you're going to have the place that got the Ark of the Covenant and everything else right here in a tent. You're going to have, uh, there's an outside tent and there's a big courtyard. In the middle of the courtyard, you've got the Holy of Holies. Then right here, you've got this bronze basin full of water. And then right here, you've got an altar where you go and you offer up your burnt offerings to God. Before the priests were to go to uh, the burnt offering or to go inside the temple, they were to go and, and clean their hands and clean their feet inside this bronze basin so that they could be clean as they led the people. Well, over time and through these traditions of the elders, what they're talking about, they took this and stretched it out and applied it to other people. They applied it to the rest of the Jews. And then they applied it not just to worship, but apparently even when you were to eat, you were to sit down and make sure that you were ceremonially or religiously clean before you could go and and really do anything. So they took God's commandment, which was, Before the priest goes into the temple, before the priest goes and offers uh, offerings and sacrifices, they need to be religiously and ceremonially pure. And they stretched it out and they added to it and they added to it and they added to it to where it then became this kind of burden that were sitting on everybody else. So they took God's Word and they stretched it and added it and made it something other than what God had originally intended. So they go to Jesus and say, why are they not doing this? Why are they not washing themselves? Why are they eating with defiled hands? So what they have done, and in fact, they even say in verse 5, they say the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? They understand and they know that this is not God's commandment. They understand and know that this comes not from God, but from the Talmud, from these uh, other teachers, from these other leaders, from these other elders. They understand that this comes from them and not from God. So they understand that they have elevated this to be the standard along with God's Word, honestly, if not greater than God's Word. So they go to Jesus and they go to his disciples and they, they... Basically say, why are they breaking tradition? In the same way that they would go and say, why are they breaking sin? They have raised up tradition. They have raised up these preferences. They have raised up these teaching of men to be equivalent with Scripture. Now, let me just say that when the church does this, when the church or when Christians, when we take something that might be a good thing, it's a good thing to wash your hands before you eat. We always try to get our kids to eat their hands or wash their hands before they eat it's, it's, there 's nothing wrong with that, but when you take that and you elevate it up to where it 's a sin that if you don 't if you take uh, even if it 's a good thing and you raise it up and you elevate it up to be equivalent with scripture, what Jesus is about to talk about is that creates hypocrisy, but it also it negates god 's word it negates our worship it it adds a lot of burden to Christianity. It adds a lot of burden to our faith. It makes being a Christian and going to church a much more difficult and and laborsome thing than it needs to be. And there have been times when the church has been, and there's still churches today that are guilty of this. I was at a church serving as youth pastor where I was told that uh, by one of the people in the church, that whenever a church puts words up on the screen, that you're trying to control people, and therefore it is sinful to have a church with words on the screen. I've been told that, um, that if I'm not wearing a, a suit in the pulpit, then, then that it's basically equivalent to sin, because I'm not respecting the people, I'm not respecting God, or I'm not doing this or that because of how I'm dressed. And... The church has, at times, elevated traditions and preferences above God's Word, or to at least equivalent with God's Word. Then let me just say this. If you're in this room, and you have ever been hurt by a church member or a church who has elevated preferences and traditions over God's Word, and because of that you have been hurt in some capacity, let me just be the first to say that I'm sorry. That is bad, that is wrong, that is not good, that is not God-honoring, and that's not God's plan or God's desire. Understand this. Jesus was a homeless man. He dressed like a homeless man. The disciples followed Jesus around. They did not live at their homes. None of them, actually the only one that probably had a lot of money was the one who was the tax collector and therefore a trader. Uh, and he probably ended up giving most of his money away just like Zacchaeus did when he decided to follow Jesus. The disciples and Jesus were not people who had money. John the Baptist lived out in the wilderness, ate wild uh, locust and, and honey or locusts and wild honey and that's what he he fed on that's how he survived wearing uh, clothes made out of camel hair there is one uh, uh, old testament prophet i want to say that it's um either i think it's isaiah i could be wrong with that who god told to go and prophesy naked for a certain amount of time god does not care what you wear God's concern is our heart. That's what God told the prophet as he was looking for the king and he picked out David and said, you look at the outside, I'll look at the heart. Yes, there's issues of modesty, but ultimately what God is concerned about is our heart. If we don't wear the nicest clothes or the right clothes or we're not dressed to the nines when we come to church, that's okay. God loves us because of who we are, not because of the name brand of our clothes or the style of our clothes or anything else. And I say that not to, not to pick on that or not to point that out, but I know that there have been people who have, hurt, have been hurt because the church has elevated things that didn't need to be elevated. And in turn, it has added a lot of stuff to Christians and it has chased some people out of the church because the church upheld tradition rather than God's Word and God's commandment to love and show grace and compassion. And so if you have been hurt by that, I'm sorry and I apologize. I understand that the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, that is not their heart. So what this does, what this does is it leads to hypocrisy. Look at Jesus' response in verses 6 through 8. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold, to the, and hold to the tradition of men. Hypocrisy is a sin of the heart. Jesus defines what a hypocrite is. He says that you, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He says, you act one way publicly, but internally, in your heart, where your focus is, where your love is, what you desire above all else, it's not anywhere near where I'm at. You see, this word hypocrite comes from, uh, the, at least in the Greek, it comes from uh, the stage. It comes from actors. People who acted a different way than what they really are. That's what an actor does. What they, pray, they play pretend. They act a certain way. They act to be a certain character, even though that's not who they genuinely are. So in the Greek, the term hypocrite was used of actors. And it wasn't necessarily a negative term, but it was used for those who were actors, who were acting, who were pretending to be something other than they were. So when you use that outside of that context and you call someone else a hypocrite, you're saying you're playing pretend. You're pretending to be something other or someone other than what you are. And he calls the the Pharisees this. He calls them hypocrites. He says, look, you're pretending to be something other than you are. You say you love God. You say you love him and his word and his commandments. But ultimately, your heart is way over here. You pretend in public to love God, but your heart is not devoted to Him. Your heart does not love Him. The center of who you are, the the core of who you are, does not care about Him at all. You might look great on the outside, but your heart is far from God. Once again, the Pharisees were all about cleanliness. They were all about how you dress, wearing the right things, having their hair grown the right way, but their heart was nowhere near God. They did it to glorify themselves. And then look in verse 7. He says, In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Hypocrisy impacts our worship. You know, there are some times when in Scripture we see um, the author, the writer, whoever's speaking, they're very blunt in what they say. And here Jesus is very blunt. He is very black and white in what He says. He says, In vain do you worship me. Vain means producing no result. Useless. Jesus tells them, look, you do all of this stuff... To worship me. You go to the temple. You light these candles. You wash yourselves. You do this. You wear these clothes. You do all this stuff that you publicly tell people that I'm doing this because this is what God's commandment. I'm doing this because I love God. Your heart is so far from me that when you do this as worship, it is pointless. It is useless. It produces zero result. Your worship is not worship because it's not focused on me. It's what Jesus is telling them. Can you think of anything worse, or of anything more sad, or of anything more uh, just heartbreaking than being told by God that your worship has no value? That your worship has no worth? That your worship has no point? Because you might look great on the outside, but your heart wants absolutely nothing to do with me. That is a terrifyingly sad statement that Jesus is making to the Pharisees. Understand that ever since Jesus came onto the scene, His desire has always been not to just impact the outside of people, how we act or how we look, but to impact the heart. Think back to the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first public uh, sermon back in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he goes through and he makes all these statements like, you have heard it said, uh, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you that anyone who calls his brother a fool or someone who is anger is guilty of the same thing. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at lust with a woman has, uh, or, or a man uh, has committed sin in their heart. Jesus' whole thing was, look, you've got this whole religious system based on how you look on the outside. I'm not as concerned about that as about who you are on the inside. Because who you are on the inside is going to affect and impact who you are on the outside. Who you are on the outside is on the inside is infinitely more important than what you look like on the outside. So Jesus comes in dealing with the heart. He always deals with the heart. As he's talking to these Pharisees, he's dealing with their heart. He says, look, on the outside, you might look great, but then on the inside, you are dead. It's why he calls them later, he calls them whitewashed tombs. On the outside you might look beautiful, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy lets us look Christian on the outside, but in our minds and in our hearts, we're not worried about God. We're not concerned about honoring Him. We're not concerned about loving Him. We're not concerned about pursuing Him or magnifying Him or making Him look great. We're just concerned about ourselves. So hypocrisy says, I look good on the outside, but inside, inside my heart is far from him. They said they loved God, but they really loved themselves. Here's the thing about hypocrisy, and here's the thing specifically about what they're doing about elevating traditions and elevating um, preferences over God and his commands. It is easy for me to kind of make this checklist of everything that I'm supposed to do or every way that I'm supposed to look, kind of check all this stuff out and not have to deal with my heart. I can say that I've got to make sure my clothes are dressed for Sunday morning, so I've got my my khakis and I've got my my button down. Uh, I've got to carry my Bible with me. I've got to make sure that I've got K-Love playing on the uh, car or the van when I pull up. If the radio, if the windows are down, um, I've got to make sure A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. And I can have this list. And I can look a certain way. And ultimately, what that does is, my concern is I wanna make sure people look at me a certain way. I wanna make sure that I get people's respect. I wanna make sure that people look at me and they think, hey, that guy's got it all together. That's easy. What's hard is being honest with myself. What's hard is wrestling with my sin. What's hard is making sure that I'm dying to myself and I'm dying to my flesh every day so that God can be honored and glorified. What's hard is making sure that I'm loving God more than I'm loving myself. What's hard is making sure that I'm loving my wife and my spouse and my children and my church more than I'm loving myself. What's hard is actually taking who God wants me to be, applying it to my heart so that it impacts how I live. That's hard. What's hard is actually setting Christ first and wrestling with that every single day to make sure that I don't take back the throne of my life. But when I set my own rules and I set my own list and I say, I can do this and this is good, that's easy. I can do that and no one else knows what's going on inside. I can do that. I can fool a whole lot of people. I can even fool myself sometimes. But I can never fool God. And so what you do is when you do that, you're loving yourselves more than loving God. You're uplifting yourself and what you can do. Your focus is on not God, but it's on ourselves. When we exalt our rules and our list above who He is. We also see that hypocrisy leads to the rejection of God's authority in our lives. Verse 9, And He said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. When we take tradition, when we take preferences, and we raise it up above God's standard, we raise it up above God's word to be equal to God's word. One, we raise ourselves up to be equal with God. But two, we're saying that, you know what? God's word, if you are a Christian, God's word has authority in your life. Yeah. This is how God speaks. This is what God has given us as His standard. This is what God has shown us. This is who I want you to be, how I want you to live. It's all in God's Word. God has given us His Word to, place, to, 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 to exercise authority in our lives. We line ourselves up to God and His Word before we decide what we're going to do. We say, all right, what does God's Word have to say about this? And then we make our decisions. Then we live our life. God's, God and His Word, His authority comes first, and then we submit ourselves to that. When we exalt ourselves, when we lift up traditions and preferences above or equal to God's Word, what we're saying is, God, I don't need your authority anymore. I don't need your guide. I don't need your rule. I don't need your, your love, your compassion. I don't need what you want to give me. I've got this figured out on my own. And we exalt ourselves and we lift up ourselves and we set ourselves up as our own gods. And we say, I've got this figured out on my own. God might be the creator of all things. God might be perfect. God might be holy. But I know what's best for my life. It's the exact same thing when someone says, you know what, I don't believe in God. I'm going to figure out my life on my own. Or I know God's Word says, "Um, don't commit adultery, but uh, I like this person more than I like my spouse, so I'm going to chase after them. It's the exact same thing. It's sin. Sin says, I know better about my life than what God does. Sin says, I have more authority over my life than what God does. And so whether it's hypocrisy, whether it's adultery, whether it's addiction, or whatever it is, we are raising ourselves up and saying, I know more than God. And so when we raise tradition, when we raise our hypocrisy, when we raise preferences over God's Word, we are saying that we know more than God, and He can leave if He wants to, because we've got this figured out on our own. It is so easy for us to look at, you know what, those are who are cheating on their spouses. That's, that's obviously a bad sin. They shouldn't do that. And, and look at those who are, you know what, they're, they're engaging in homosexuality. That's obviously a bad sin. They should, it's easy for us to look at the sins of others and point it out. But I'd be willing to bet that the majority of us struggle in some sense with hypocrisy. Struggle in some sense with taking our own standards and applying our standards to other people or to the church. Our own preferences. Our own uh, whatever we want. Our own traditions. And when people don't meet our traditions, they don't meet our expectations, they don't meet our preferences, well then, then they've got some issues. Whether God has said anything about it or not. Let me give you an illustration. In our house we very rarely watch rated R movies. If it's a war movie, we might watch it because it's typically rated R because of violence, but, um, because of people getting shot and stuff. But typically, we don't watch rated R movies. We've decided that they've got a lot of language that we don't care about, or they've got a lot of sexual stuff that we don't need to see, or whatever reason, we just don't watch a lot of rated R movies. Really, hardly any. Now, there's no commandment in the Bible that says, thou shalt not watch... A rated R movie. Now you can make arguments about nudity and perversion and sexuality, but but ultimately there's there's no commandment. If someone wanted to watch a movie that um, that's got a bunch of language in it, and they go they hear the same language at work every day, then then maybe they can justify that. Maybe they can then argue that out for themselves. That's between them and God. But if I start telling people, "Hey, you watched a rated R movie. You're a sinner." because of that one movie that you've watched. What I've done is I've taken my preferences and I've raised it up above God's standard and I've applied it to someone else and I've added law and rule to them that God never intended to do. My favorite musician is Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was a Christian. Johnny Cash did some gospel music, but his best music is the stuff that he wrote that's that's not... Gospel, in my opinion, I love uh, Ring of Fire. I love all that stuff. That's that's just Johnny Cash, but it's not Christian, quote unquote, gospel music. There was a time in my life that I thought a Christian could only listen to K Love, and if you listened to anything else, that you were uh, a sinner and you didn't love God. There's some music that, yeah, you probably shouldn't listen to. If it glorifies sin, if it glorifies and worships the self and the flesh, yes, you can make an argument that a Christian should not listen to that. But there's some music that it doesn't take a moral stance. It's just a song, and it's okay to listen to that. But if we go to people and say, you know what, you listen to Johnny Cash, you listen to U2, or you listen to 80s music or 90s music, whatever it is that you like to listen to, and, and, and that's not a song that's on K-Love, then, well, you're a sinner because you've listened to that song. We have taken our standards, we have taken our preferences, and we have raised them up above God's Word. We have to make sure that God sets our standard. Now, if God convicts you about listening to something, then don't listen to it. It's a matter of conscience. It's an issue of conscience. Read 1 Corinthians. It talks about the issues of conscience. Sinning against your conscience. But we don't have the right to apply that to other people. One more illustration. Just trying to clarify all this. I've got some friends who got saved later on in life. They got saved in uh, they're probably in their mid-20s. And before that, they um, they drank all the time. They had immoral relationships with uh, girls. And so there were certain things in their past that, that they did not, or they, they did, that just wasn't an issue for me. And so for them... they wouldn't go to um, like a restaurant that might have a bar and sit in the bar area because it was the only seat because for them, that was too much of a temptation because they used to drink. I've never drinking before in my life. I've never uh, been drunk. I I think it all smells nasty. If it smells that bad, it can't taste any better. Uh, It's just never been an issue for me. So I can... Sit, You know, you go to Applebee's and here's the bar and here's a table right next to the bar. I can sit at that table and be fine. They could not because it was too much of a temptation for them. So for them, if they said, you know what, Cam, you sat at that seat. You're a sinner because of what you just did because you're too close to the alcohol. That's taking their preferences. That's taking what's going on in their life, their conscience, and applying it to me. That's hypocrisy. That's what the Pharisees are doing. That's this whole thing Jesus is talking about. We cannot elevate anything above God's standard. And when we're describing and defining sin, let God define sin. If it's an issue of conscience, if it's another issue, then we can wrestle with it, then we can deal with it. But let God be the one who sets sin because He's the only one who is perfect. He is the only one who is righteous. Therefore, He is the only one who can do that. And finally, we see that hypocrisy comes from us loving ourselves more than God and others. Verses 10 through 13. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother shall, must surely die. So God gave a command through Moses. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. But, verse 11, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you are no longer um, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So that word, what they're talking about there is, Let's say my mom and dad can't work anymore. Then they can't provide for themselves. There's a biblical commandment or expectation that uh, me and my siblings uh, help provide for them, that we honor our father and mother, whether that's taking them in our house, helping them pay their bills, uh, paying for them to be in a a nursing home, whatever it is. Uh, Let's say they can't do anything for themselves, and so there's a responsibility on me and my siblings to take care of them, and help take care of them. What's going on here is what the Jews allowed, or what they allowed at this time, that if... Let's say I was going to set aside $100 a month. That's probably not enough, but let's just assume. I don't get into big numbers in my head. I can't do math well. Let's say I set aside $100 a month for my parents, and that's what we're going to give to them to help pay their bills or whatever. If I said, this is Corbin, what I'm saying is I'm going to take this $100, I'm going to give it to the church instead, or I'm going to devote it To the church, they might not have actually given it to the church, but they've said this is religious money, uh, so I don't have to give it to my parents anymore, and therefore they're left struggling and taking care, or trying to take care of themselves, or my siblings are trying to take care of them, and I've just taken this money and either given it to myself or given it to the church, even though God has said that you need to help take care of your parents. So they're saying you've given people an out, so they don't have to follow the commandments of God, but they can still do religious good stuff. Verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. They have uh, lifted up their tradition, they have voided out the word of God, and they have not loved God or loved other people. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. God's greatest commandment is that we love Him and we love others. What He is telling them is this hypocrisy that they have set up, these other rules and traditions that they have set up, It is basically giving them an out so that they don't have to do either. With this whole Corbin thing, he's saying, look, you're not loving God because you're not following His commandments, and you're not loving your father or mother as God has commanded because you're not giving to them and help provide them and take care of them. You're not honoring and respecting your parents. You've kind of found this loophole to be able to keep your money and do what you want with it. Hypocrisy leads us to love ourselves more than anybody else. And the way God has established it, we are to love God first, our spouse first, our children, others, and we place ourselves last on the list. But honestly, when we live like that, when we live to serve God above all else, when we live to love others more than we love ourselves, we get more fulfillment from that. We get more joy from that. We get more purpose and passion and pursuit and drive in our life because of that. Because that's the way God's created us. And so hypocrisy causes us to love ourselves more than we love anybody else. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing, is they were loving themselves more than anybody else. So, what do we do with this? One, we need to check our hearts. We need to examine our hearts. Yes, it's good to examine your actions. Yes, it's good to examine, hey, am I I following God's Word on the outside? Are the things that I'm saying, are the places that I'm going, the things that I'm doing, are those sinful or not? Are they glorifying to God or not? But also, we need to take time to make sure we're examining our hearts. What do I love above all else? Is it God? Is it money? Is it family? Is it sports? Is it hunting? What do I love above all else? Who is the king of my heart? There's only one king. It's either God or it's something else. We need to examine our hearts to make sure that it can't be said of us like it was said of the Pharisees. You look great on the outside, but your heart is far from me. Where is our heart? We need to examine that. Every single day, we need to examine that. We also need to ask ourselves... Am I holding people to standards or expectations or preferences and traditions that God has not set? That God has not established? Who sets righteousness? Me or God? We also need to look ourselves at a church. Say, as a church, are there things that we are doing that God has not called us to do that we have set up Traditions and preferences and standards above God's Word or things that we are doing that God has not commanded us to do that are negatively impacting um, our view in the community, how people view us, how people view God because of us. You could argue the greatest sin of the Pharisees was hypocrisy. And when you look at Jesus, the way He interacts with people, the only group that He called out The only group that he dogged out, the only group that he called serpents and snakes and dogs and whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones were the hypocrites. The adulterers, he said, go and sin no more. To the demon-possessed, he said, look, I freed you. Go, tell other people about me. Live your life here in this world to glorify me. It was the hypocrites that he said... Y'all have got a lot of issues to work out. Let's examine our hearts. And then as a church, let's examine our body to make sure not that we're perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But to make sure that our hearts are not far from God regardless of what we look like on the outside. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and thank you for this time. We thank you for this morning that you've given us. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. God, for those in here who know you, who are your children. Father God, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts, examine our lives. And God, make sure that God, no matter what we look like on the outside, that our hearts are with you. Because if our hearts are with you, our outside is going to be taken care of. God, let us fight to keep you as first in our life. And God, may we never be defined as hypocrites the way the Pharisees were. God, I pray for those in this room who do not know you. God, maybe they've been hurt in the past by the church or by Christians. God, maybe an excuse has always been that the church is full of hypocrites. Father God, don't let people's downfalls keep them from understanding your love and your grace. God, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you. God, that they would understand that your love and your grace is far greater than the failures and the hypocrisy of men. And God, that you would draw them to yourself. You would turn them to yourself. And God, they would recognize their need for you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.